millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to the Psych Legal Pop Podcast. I'm Tess Brigham. I'm a psychotherapist and I'm here as always with my sister, Brooke. Hello, (laughs) this is Brooke and I'm an attorney. So today we are talking about Playboy um, and different aspects of Playboy. We've been watching The Secrets of Playboy um, documentary that's been on A&E. I've made it eight episodes without wanting to just off myself because it's the most awful, awful thing you will ever see. Brooke made it to about three episodes. But we were inspired to talk about this actually because... Um, two of the former half girlfriends, Holly and Bridget are doing a new podcast called girls next level. And we've been listening to it and really loving it. So, um, we're just excited to be able to talk about them and their story and how that weaves into playboy. Yeah. We start, we started out by listening to the podcast and we're like, Wow, you know, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. I never watched the show. Oh, you didn't? Girls Next Door. Oh, no. no. It was a great show. I've ne- I've since watched a couple episodes on YouTube, but I wasn't familiar with them. I just know them from, you know, they're part of the cultural zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. And listening to them, I'm like, wow, you know, they're interesting women. And they're talking about oh, this. Yeah. And, and so then that's what led into <laughs> watching this. What is it called? Play- the Secrets, Secrets, Secrets of, Playboy, of Playboy. Which is... So dark. Ugh, it's 12 episodes it's very dark. of the most dark, dark, disgusting, disturbing things ever. Yeah. I don't know if there's yeah. anything. I mean, it's probably, I mean, sh- I don't know. I don't know if maybe the John Wayne Gacy <laughs> documentary was just a little bit darker yeah. than this. But this was dark. And it, it, you know, it just made me realize I, I really I really didn't know anything about these stories. They mm-hmm. have never come out before, no. as far as I know. And what's amazing to me is how Playboy is so ingrained, and it's, it is such a cultural icon. I mean, mm-hmm. And Hugh Hefner, he was doing all this stuff in plain sight. Yes. 
and it was such a part of our society, such an institution. And only since he's died, maybe, what, a year or two ago? No, I think he died in 2017. Oh, that long ago? Okay. Well, the so, time's moving fast. The oh, pandemic really sped I know, up time. I, I don't know what year it is anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, so it was only he had to die before yes, any any so, of this yeah. could come out because he die was so and, powerful. Die and have a couple years afterwards. Yeah. What I think is so interesting about what both Holly and Bridget had said individually, and this is what a lot of the women say in um, in the documentary is, is that growing up, you know about Playboy, you hear about Playboy. To be a Playboy playmate, it was very much, I don't know, I mean, obviously, there were always people that looked poorly upon Playboy, but it was considered the quote-unquote classy magazine, right. that if you're going to pose nude, that Playboy is the place to do it, if you want to do that. And that it was, I think, very much this idea of what beauty is, right? These right. women, these Playboy playmates are what is beauty, which is being young and thin and um, and, and kind glossy, of innocent, 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 innocent yeah, looking, being yeah. a girl next door, being innocent, being sweet. You know, they used to have these pictorials and they'd ask these women these questions and then you'd see it in their handwriting, like what's your favorite ice cream and mint chip right. and, and a little heart over the eye and the mint. Yeah, it was like and they very put in, you, youthful. Childhood pictures. Yes, yes, you're right. So you're li linking that, oh, she was once just a little uh -huh. girl like me. And in fact, you know, our grandfather, oh, yeah. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Brigham, he was a Playboy subscriber mm -hmm. and again had these magazines uh, just out around the house yes. didn't hide them there was nothing shameful about it and i remember as a as a girl just looking at them and, and thinking mm -hmm. the same thing oh they're so pretty and yeah. it, it really didn't seem sexual to me mm -mm. at all there was not it, it was just like wow yeah they're so pretty they're so skinny and that was the ideal yes back then um i guess it always has been but you know especially you know in the 70s so yeah, I remember looking at it and thinking, "Wow, you know these beautiful." I never, I never thought, "Well, I want to do this." Yeah, <laughs> like uh, Bridget, Bridget said. Yeah, I mean, I think, and what I think is interesting is because I think one thing that that, and I think Hefner get, did a good job of this, and it's like hard to describe, but. In in the documentary, there's a they show you these old like you know him on Dick Cavett with a former feminist or a feminist right, and they would have Hefner debating these feminists that were saying like Playboy is the destruction of feminism and you're going against it and and Hefner really had a way of selling and obviously generation after generation after generation he sold to women. No, this is what you want to be. You want to be beautiful, and I think that for women. This idea of I can be a beautiful woman that's loved and desired and also be a feminist right. have always been these two things that people felt like you can't be at the same time, right? If you're if you're a feminist and you're going to stick up and, and talk about women's rights and how we're perceived in our culture, then that means that you're like this ugly troll, you know. Who doesn't that, like men. Who doesn't like men, that yeah. hates men and hates everything. And or you're this beautiful beautiful, beautiful playmate who's supporting this idea of Playboy and, and what that means. And and I think Hefner did a good job of sort of pitting these two things together, which I think for a lot of young girls 
right that that is you know you when you're young like that you you want that you want that love and attention you want to be seen as sexual and desirable and wanted and and all of these things so it's i think it's real easy to um i can just see how bridget and holly both in their respective homes like you know holly's from what alaska and bridget's from northern california so just two separate people in two separate places wanting and believing the same things yeah and it was interesting because Bridget said that, you know, she saw the Playboy magazine as a young girl and she said, I want to be in that magazine mm-hmm. someday. Yeah. And that was literally her life goal. And this this is not a, I mean, she's a smart woman. She has a master's yeah. degree. Yeah. She's educated. She's, um, you know, she n- just went after it yes. and, and <laughs> you know, met that goal. But yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine looking at that as a young girl and thinking, I want to be in that magazine someday. But obviously, a lot of girls yes. do. And, no, and nor is there anything wrong with that. Right. You know, none of it, there's nothing wrong with any of that, I think. But I just think that's the part that's so fascinating is decade after decade after decade, this is what he's, you know, this playboy mystique has been able to you know, from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s, yeah. you know, get new people. And then when you see people like Pamela Anderson, Jenny McCarthy, like women like that who pl- that pose in Playboy earlier in their career, and then there's, you know, they catapults them into stardom and they become household names, then it even brings it more and more and more and more yeah. into the public eye. And um, so, yeah, it's just, whew. That documentary, I just can't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch the last no, episode. I, 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 I don't think you should. No, it was just too, <laughs> it was way too disturbing. It's too damaging. But um, yeah, so th- this is the first time I've ever really thought very deeply about it because it's just been just part of our lives. Yes. Like it's just been just there. Mm-hmm. And I don't, is and it, you don't is question it online it. now? Do they still publish it online? The, I don't know. You know. Just, my husband Steve, he he got a subscription a while ago when they went to no more nudity, and then I think he was like, "Well, these articles aren't good anymore, right?" Because Playboy was also known for having really good articles. Yeah. They got good writers, they got good articles. Like they were smart about it. So there were a lot of people reading Playboy that never even looked at the photos. They were just reading the articles. Um, so and then it wasn't very good. But I don't think it exists at all anymore. Okay. Um, it, at all so in the documentary they don't get into Hefner too much but basically you learn that he grew up in the I think he went off to I think I want to say he went to World War II but he was in the military I think maybe I should have written this down I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just so so start like yeah, struck it's, by it's everything hard. that was going on that yeah. it was, I was hard to process but Basically, he grew up in this very conservative Methodist household. Um, I think his father was a little was strict. I think they were religious. This is the sense I get was that he came from this household that was very strict, very religious, and was those those years post war when you know in the nineteen fifties where it was sort of you know men were the baby boomers and men were returning from war and and you know it was the new nuclear family and and I think that. I don't know what went on in Hefner's mind. I don't know what it was, but he his whole thing was, 
And this is what he, this was his bottom line to anyone who ever interviewed him, it seems like, was, you know, I am creating something that is against the repression of the 1950s, that, you know, I am, this is about the 60s and 70s and sexuality and being free with your sexuality. So, so this whole, all of this was about women being free to be sexually however they want to be, right? Like, we're not going to repress, you know, um... That well, that was what he said. This is what he says. <laughs> this it's, is what he's saying. It's not so really true. So but, yeah. this idea of if you you know for you to po- pose in the magazine that means that you are open and sexually right. open and women's liberation, women liberation, yeah. all of it. That was always his bottom line. And you were asking before we started recording, like what, why, why is Hefner the way he is? Like what happened? And because we don't know a lot about his family and what went on. And I, I feel like it was a slow burn. I really do. I think that he probably always was a bit of a voyeur. I think he always was interested in sex and sexuality, which is very normal and natural. But I think that he was someone who kind of, I don't think he ever thought this would become what it was, but I think right. he kind of kept upping the stakes. He was a good businessman, yes. obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe. Well, I, I mean, you know, I mean, they had all those Playboy clubs. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he had, I think he was making money. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think he was too. I mean, I guess I often wonder if he was, it It, it feels a little bit like off the backs of these women. Oh, well, <laughs> right. yeah, of course. Of course. But I mean, he's but, a good, anybody can be a big, big, the, the thing is, is that, yes, I think he's a good, good businessman, but anyone can be a good business person and make a lot of money when you have um, a lot of people working for you right, for free for nothing. or nothing. Exactly. I mean, you know, trust me, when you're paying people, it, it's a lot harder. Yeah. So um, that's one of the problems. Um, so, uh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. So he... Um, I've lost my train of thought. The phone distracted me. What was I talking oh, about? But like how you said it was kind of a slow burn. Oh, it was a slow burn. Sorry. So it was a slow burn. Happened. I think that he I think that I think that he started the magazine. I think it was successful. I think that it attracted women. I think women wanted to sleep with him or or he, you know, that was his MO. I think he thought, oh, this is good. And and I think each thing that he did, I think he started upping the ante even more like, oh, you know, I don't really if I pay these women this much, you know, they'll just keep showing up. Or if I, um, you know, one of the one of the episodes, they talk about the Playboy Club and these bunny costumes that they had them in and just blood, you know, it sounded like they were being bound into these things where they could barely breathe. You know, you're putting them in these outfits that where they can barely breathe in these huge heels, and you're having to do this bunny lean. The women are talking, even the women who weren't sexually assaulted and and had horrible things, they were just talking about like their backs and how it's just done terrible damage to their bodies. Um, but I think that you know, every step of the way, I think he kind of figured out like, oh wow, yeah, if I make them bind themselves in these bunny costumes, they'll wear the bunny costumes. And if we and if we offer them this, then they'll say yes to this. And if um if we give them if we're really, really nice to the celebrities, the celebrities keep coming back. Oh look, they're coming back. Oh, okay. The celebrities want to hang out with the bunnies. Oh the bunnies will hang out with the celebrities. Oh, okay. 
Like, I don't think that he started all of this knowing where it was going to go, but I think he he saw every step of the way how much he could get away with and how much he was doing and building and people kept showing up for it. And I, and I think that you just then have to have that kind of personality that you're willing to then keep exploiting people and exploiting people, right. exploiting people. I, I, I just don't think, I don't think that he woke up as a diabolical person from day one, but I think that obviously there's something inherently wrong with him. I don't want to say the N word, the narcissism <laughs> word, but it's true. I mean, there was something there that, in his personality that just all of these elements together worked. Yeah. And you're right about the fact that he was okay with exploiting people Mm -hmm. because, you know, this came up, you know, multiple times people would say his attitude was in the whole playboy company's attitude was like, well, if you're not willing to do this, Mm -hmm. there are a million women who are. Yeah. And so, you know, if you don't like it, leave. But, mm-hmm. you know, this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was the attitude because they were, these women were just replaceable. Yeah. Well, and I think some of this, again, is, uh, again, the time, right? Which is you sell this thing, this bill of goods to um, women and you tell them, like, if you come here, you'll be the girl next door and it'll be wonderful and it'll be so great. And even the women who maybe didn't like it or, you know, even if nothing happened to them, like they didn't like the money or they didn't like the way they were treated, maybe they might go and tell their friend, like, oh, God, it was a terrible experience. Ugh. Okay, never back to that. And then I'll go off somewhere. I think that we forget, like, how the internet and just the fact that everyone has a platform, a national platform, how much that has changed these things because it's harder to keep things silent. Yes. Everyone's, you know, it's much easier. I think that in today's world, if Playboy was starting out now, I think all these women would be going back and saying, Oh my God, I can't believe this. And this is my experience. And then there would be a whole movement about it already. And the whole thing would be canceled. What, I think would be good is let's talk more about the girls next level podcast (laughs) than the documentary. It's a little lighter. Yeah. If anyone wants to watch the documentary, prepare yourself. It's not that I don't think that talking about the documentary is important, but I, I just feel like us recounting each of these women's stories isn't. It's just piling on. Yeah, it is. I mean, the reality is, is these women were put in very precarious situations. They were not protected. They were exploited. And, of course, bad things happened. Mm-hmm. Sexual assaults. Over and over. Um, like, everybody. Not yeah. not just the Playboy bunnies. Not just the women. Not the playmates. But the women who worked at the organization. The women. I mean, you know. It seemed to be, I think, if you, it really drills down to the idea of the ideal woman was this Playboy playmate. And the thing is, is that that was very much what everybody wanted from these women. They wanted them to be just like the woman in a magazine. No voice, you know, glossy, shut your mouth, don't have a voice, don't say anything. And I think that's what's really interesting about the fact that this was this magazine where it was, yeah, it was just this picture of a woman who cannot talk back to you, can't say no, right. can't can't have an opinion, and can't, you know, call you on anything. And I think very much this is what these men, Hefner and all of the men and all of the celebrities that were there too, 
that's what they were looking for. Right. And in real life, they thought that they could just treat these women as if they were just sex workers, sex in workers, a, a like someone yeah. in, yeah, just this, this image from a magazine and they didn't see them as human beings at all. No. They, they were, you know, these, these clubs, these playboy clubs, you know, when they, and they had these VIP memberships and mm-hmm. basically if you were a VIP, you could have anything you could mm-hmm. you and they clearly felt that that included the women. Yes. And um, yes, yeah, really, it's really, it's really sick. It, mm-hmm. It's really very sick. It's like this, and just even calling it the Playboy Club, and it's this club of men, members only, VIPs. You know, you can have whatever you want. I mean, when you think about it, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it is, it it is just, yeah, treating at least sex workers. You know, if one thing if you choose to be a sex worker and mm-hmm. you're giving consent and whatever, yes. but these women were treated as sex workers with no consent yes. like sex slaves it's like yes. sex trafficking basically yeah i was gonna say hefner hefner was a trafficker a yeah. trafficker a pimp yeah and not i know people use the word pimp in a positive way but it's not no and he he basically was their pimp and what's so inter- what i think is so interesting too is you know, Holly and Bridget talk about this, like the first season of Girls Next Door, they didn't make any money. No. But I know Hefner probably did. I doubt Hefner let the, that camera crew and the people. So essentially, they're right again. And that was 2004, 2005 when the show came out. It's a little bit like we're already in this next century and these women are still being treated like, tra- you know, you're trafficking them. You know, it's like when you use someone and do not pay them for their services nor gain their consent that is illegal and wrong. And it was this idea that, oh, you're a beautiful woman. You're in this Playboy bunny costume. You're on these, you know, you're sexualized. So therefore, if I want to have sex with you, therefore you should, you should consent. And these poor women had no idea, had no idea what they were getting into. No. So (laughs) it's just, it's, it's awful. Well, and even talking about like, um, Holly and Bridget, they talk about this on, on their podcast and how they didn't know what they were getting into. No. There was still this, in there was, at least from what I saw, just on, you know, Hefner being interviewed on TV and whatnot over the years, I felt like he kind of purposefully created this mystery around mm-hmm. all these women and that he hung out with and lived with and whatever. And it was always... Interviewers would always ask the same thing. You know, are you, are you really are you sleeping with all these women, or mm-hmm. what? What really goes on? And he was always very cagey about it, and everyone was very cagey about it. And now that he's dead, people are now yeah. free to say, "Yeah, you know, he, he yes, you were expected to have sex mm-hmm. with him, like whenever he felt like it." Yep. And so that's if you if you wanted to be his girlfriend, and if you wanted to be invited, right back. So they had a process that where there were women um, who were in his posse who were like recruiters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like all these guys, Epstein and yeah, they all have these recruiters, right? So, um, yeah, they would invite girls to these parties and make them feel special. And, you know, he would wine and dine them, take them to these, you know, mm-hmm. fancy places, Big Hollywood clubs, parties yeah. and clubs and... You know, so there's this whole grooming process that went on. Mm. 
And at a certain point, if he likes you, um, you get invited up into the bedroom after you go out to a club. That was their routine. They'd go out mm -hmm. in a big group to a club and they'd come back and they were all expected to go up in his bedroom. And so at some point they invite you up there. And I think, I think both of them said that they asked, well, what if I don't want to, or what mm -hmm. happens if I don't? And the groomer would basically say, well, you probably won't be invited back. Mm -hmm. So you get to that point where it's like, if you want to stay, you yeah. want to keep living this lifestyle, you have to have sex with him. And so, and they would all have to have sex together, together, like, and whether they wanted to or not, exactly, you know, whether they wanted to or not. Yeah. And the sad, I, I felt Holly's story to me was really sad because basically she talks about how she didn't have anywhere to live. Mm -hmm. You know, she had been living with someone. She, yeah, she, she'd come to LA like, you know, many young women do. She's from Alaska, you mm -hmm. know doesn't have any family there. She knows a few people. She was living with someone, but then they but were... they wanted to live somewhere else or they wanted to move. She basically was going to be homeless. She was going to be homeless. And yeah. so she started hanging out, you know, with, you know, getting invited to these parties. And, and she just kind of kept uh, working her way up to mm -hmm. get a place to live. And also she felt like the people at the Playboy Mansion that, that kind of become her family mm -hmm. and friends. That was her life. Yeah. Um, and then Bridget, of course, she had this fantasy since she was a little girl that she wanted to be in Playboy and she was going to do it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, she was getting invited to the parties and doing this and that. And at a certain point, um, she just decided, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to, if I want to be in Playboy, this mm -hmm. is what I have to do. Yeah. So I think that that's the part where it's real easy. Anytime you see these stories, it's real easy to go, well, come on. You know, they could have left. They could have done this. They could have done that. But that is why people are groomed. That is why it's a process. It's no one, you know, short of there's obviously kidnappers that traffic you. And that's very different. But most women get into these abusive relationships through a very slow burn. Right. And... It, I think right where it's like, oh, these are my friends and oh, they're all doing it. And they seem to think that it's okay. And oh, this is LA and this is Playboy. And this is Playboy. It's and iconic. This is, yeah. And this is, this is, if I want to be sexually free and right, if I want to be this kind of person, then maybe I should be this person. And, and here I go. And then you're caught up in this and you can't get out, you know, because your whole life is connected to that because the other thing that you hear about right is there was a point at which i think both of them were taking classes and she wanted i think holly was still working one day a week but hefner basically was like why are you working he was jealous he was yeah. very jealous yeah he didn't want her working but i think it was it was the jealousy but it was also i don't i don't want you to have freedom outside Out of world. this yeah i don't i don't want you to have any smidgen of power so well, and they had a they had a nine o'clock curfew yes okay so, they were kind of okay this is uh it was kind of cult-like yes and they had this curfew they couldn't work mm -hmm. outside of this they were given like an allowance and they they had to kind of you know the way but, the way that they had to collect it was yeah, strange uh, and everything yeah it was it was very it was a cult. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and it, all the same tactics of isolation, um, you know, just cutting you off from the outside world. And so I read <clears throat> there is a Playboy, uh, one of his girlfriends, she wrote a book called Bunny Tales, which I think she wrote on her own. I remember getting it from Amazon and I've forgotten her name, but she was one of the seven platinum blonde girlfriends. But I get the sense that she was never really that into it. Like she always had kind of one foot out and one foot in, but she wrote a book about her time at the mansion. So I had already heard about the sex and how all of that worked. And, and, um, and I already had heard about like a thousand dollars, you know, a thousand dollars a week and what the expectations were, but the nine o'clock, I guess there used to, there wasn't a curfew before, but the curfew was brought in because the one thing that's not talked about is a lot of these girls have other boyfriends. Like a lot of these girls that are quote unquote Hef's girlfriend, they, you know, they will live at the mansion part time and then part time have a condo and have other boyfriends on the side. And so one of the reasons why Hef was trying to control as he got older, right, um, because there was once a point where he was at an age where these women didn't have side boyfriends before he was like 70 and hooking up with 20 year olds. So uh, he, you know, I heard that that he brought in this nine o'clock curfew as a way of basically preventing these women from having these relationships outside of their relationship with him. But what they would do is just hook up with these guys during the day. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it didn't really, it didn't stop any of them from moving right. forward, but it was another tactic. And then the other tactic was, if, you know, the, the, the girlfriends who were there by nine o'clock every night, the ones that were going to the movie night, the ones that were showing up, right, they were the ones that were favored. So if you were a good girlfriend, you know, you were favored, you were special. Yeah. And Holly, I guess, was, um, I guess, was she the main? She's the main she girlfriend. The yeah, yeah. And she, they talked about how she really put a lot of effort into mm -hmm. taking care of him and making sure, you know, he had everything. And, you know, so she paid attention to him. Mm -hmm. And that's how she got that position. But, yeah, they all had to have the same hair, you the know. Platinum blonde platinum hair. Platinum blonde hair. They had a salon inside the mansion where they would go every <laughs> week to get their roots bleached or whatever, you know. And, um, yeah. And the 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 clothes the the money was really it was a, a clothing allowance basically because yeah. they had to have nice clothes to go out and mm -hmm. that's how they paid for it. But I think what some of the women did was I think that they, that thousand dollars a week I think they were spending two hundred dollars on clothes and eight hundred dollars on putting it down for you know a condo or for savings i mean i think that obviously some women got in there thinking like i'm gonna make money from this yeah. and, and here i go um and and someone said it in the playboy doc which is why hefner had to keep going after why all of these women were 19 it seemed to be the magic age 19 all of these women are 19 20 21 because they were legal but not old enough and smart enough to know to, to know better that this was not okay yeah and that none of this and so i think that's the part that is really what we see now with what people do on the internet and luring young women um is just how yeah they knew exactly what they were doing they weren't going to 30 year old women 
They weren't right. going to 35 year old women. They weren't doing that. And, and that was the thing about when I watched the girl, girls next door, I always found that show. I found it honestly fascinating because when you would see, you know, Kendra and Holly and Bridget with Hefner, it was kind of like watching these, it was watching three girls with their grandfather. Yeah. I mean, it was like the same conversations they had with him were the kinds of conversations I've had with my grandfather, which is, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, thank you for the gift. <laughs> you know, yeah. there you go. Oh, you know, that kind of like just general, the same conversations that Erica, Jane, and Tom Girardi <laughs> would have when I would see them talk to each other. It's like, God, have you, you know, it's like grand, grandchild. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not... It's not that he's old. It's just the conversation. I mean, the conversation between these two people is not like a couple conversation. Well, and let's face it, he was old. He was yes, in his he was in his eighties, late seventies, early eighties. Um, that's old. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things in Bunny Tales that she talked about was that what she said that there were two nights a week they would go out, which were like Wednesdays and Fridays. Yeah. So Wednesdays and Fridays were their club nights where they would go to a, whatever the club was. And what she said that there was one point while they were at the club that he would then take the Viagra, and they all knew that the there timing was a window. had to be just right. No, I'm dead serious. Yeah. And so he took that Viagra, and then she she talked about how he would get a little cranky, like, okay, my Viagra is about to kick in, so I better go, you know, over here. And and they knew that, and they all knew what was going to happen next. It was like lambs to the slaughter or something like that. Yeah. It was just, and the- but they all had to, they all had to like rearrange everything. <laughs> Based on, based on when he took the damn Viagra Viagra kicked in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And their routine around the house, again, total old man. They had movie nights, like three nights a week. Uh And they would watch, you know, like old movies like Casablanca. And, you know, (laughs) so they had to sit there and pretend to be interested in these old movies. and Mm -hmm. With these old men. With a bunch of old men. Yeah, because it wasn't just them. There was always seemed to be just be a crowd of people, friends, Mm -hmm. hanger-oners. And And so these these old men, maybe when Holly and Bridget were there, it wasn't as nefarious. But back in the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, these friends were, you know, his cronies. And his cronies were, you know, a lot of these men... Um, either had sex with or raped. I don't know what the whole, everything that happened. Well, we saw Bill Cosby. Yes. Ugh. Hanging out there. Bill Cosby. That's a whole Jesus. other. That, yeah. that, did you ever watch the, uh, let's, we need to talk about Cosby. Yeah. yeah. But I don't want to talk about Bill Cosby anymore. <laughs> I, I cannot, yeah. I, I. And then ugh. he, you I just know, want to punch his gets face. Gets out of jail on a technicality. Oh, God. He's actually Cosby. walking around, like. Maybe one of these episodes we'll talk about the time that Brooke and I saw Cosby. <laughs> Back in the 90s, before all of these allegations uh, when came he was out, still when he American was still America's dad. dad, we were at a conference and we saw him talk. And oh my we God. We should have known like then. It was so stunning. He said something very... I don't know if you want to say it. No, you go ahead. Do you remember this? Okay, I would list like, let's... I want to set the scene for you all. <laughs> This is the Bakersfield Business Conference, Bakersfield, California, which is very conservative. Our our grandfather lived there for many years before he died, and not the one that had the Playboy no. magazines. This is a separate <laughs> grandfather. Um, and he loved this Bakersfield Business Conference, but 
it was very conservative. We're not mm. conservative. Our grandfather was not conservative. So it was a little much. But the speakers, I mean, they had, you know, ex-presidents. Mm-hmm. They had um, yeah, astronauts, you, you would, know, very famous people, very accomplished people. Yeah, these were pricey tickets. I didn't pay for them. But he, our grandfather would buy a whole table for, I don't know, 10000 20, whatever yeah, the amount well, was. It was very expensive. It was very expensive. It was very nice to go. So I think maybe the one year... <laughs> Bill Cosby was there to speak. Who I'm sure they paid Cosby a good two hundred fifty thousand dollars for his talk or whatever it was. Yeah, they always had a comedian. Yes, like Jay Leno was there one year, and yeah. so you think that Cosby is going to come out and talk about being America's dad or about something about like what's going on in the world and. Brooke, tell them what he decided to share with us. Okay, that well, day. I don't even know how he got on this topic. This was around the time when he started criticizing young black men mm. and talking about you know like calling up eddie murphy and yeah like uh, saying we're well, walking around with your sagging pants and you know he was just i don't know this is the beginning of the end for him so anyway he's i don't even know how we get on this topic but he tells us that he knows that there are women who will have sex with you know famous athletes mm-hmm. or you know um celebrities or whoever and that they will um after the sex is over Mm -hmm. they will go into the bathroom and collect the condom the used condom from the trash Mm -hmm. and they'll tie it up and take it home with them no 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 there's a friend there was a friend after you get home oh the friends at home that's right because he said after they got home they would phone a friend Call a friend to come over uh-huh. and basically help them, you know, inseminate themselves yes. with this sperm in the condom. And as and he's telling the story, it's a long drawn out story, and we're just looking at each other like, "This what, is insane. What is happening? What is he saying? It's very inappropriate." And um, but yeah, he would talk. <laughs> he was weird. talking about. But he was talking about the women, but he wasn't talking about poking the condoms. It was like the, the, the way he'd, I just remember him describing it, that these women, they go into these hotel rooms, they get the condom, and then they give the condom to a friend who's at the hotel as well, like down the hall. Oh, I didn't Like they didn't go part. home. I they mean, did it right. Yeah, they, yeah, they do, do it right, right away. There, you yeah. know, but again, our grandfather was a doctor. And so everyone's looking at him like, this is not medically possible, right? <laughs> like none of this makes any sense. I mean, I don't think the sperm's that far fresh after a period of time but it was so the whole thing it was so bizarre it took so long but it was just why do we need to know this like how how does this how how is it relevant how is it relevant to anything that you do or we do or why we are all sitting here we want to be inspired buddy right you know but it was just this weird thing of like this is his i i truly think that he was he was fearful that he was going to get accused of something close to that because he was he had listen even during his height, there were rumblings that he had fathered a child, that he wasn't faithful. Like, there were always these rumblings about him. And I feel like when we saw him, the Cosby show was off the air. It was already in the 90s. So the Cosby show was off the air. And I feel like maybe he was going to get accused or he had been accused very early. This was so he's like, laying the groundwork. He's laying the groundwork for his for defense. His own agenda. His own agenda. Yeah. And I do remember seeing that and thinking... Ugh, God, you know, there's something up here. But I will say, our mother, very ahead of her time, even back in, I remember when the Cosby show premiered, she could not stand him. Yeah. She hated him. She thought he was a pompous, arrogant, 
asshole, which he is. She couldn't, she thought it was ridiculous. Like all of these, um, you know, Dr. William H. Cosby, you know, PhD. And it's like, these are honorary degrees. You didn't do anything for these <laughs> degrees, buddy. Like he loved to be this PhD and, and she, that really pissed her off. And she was right. She was way ahead of her time. She knew he was an arrogant piece of shit. Yeah. Anyway, now we're on to Cosby. But, yeah, that's, ugh, that's I, I don't think we can cover Cosby on no, this after I, this Playboy thing. I'm so sick of him, and I just, ugh, I'm sick of all of these people. Yeah, so. I know this is it, it is depressing. But but back to Bridget <laughs> and Holly. <laughs> at least you know, uh, yeah. At least they they seem to have gotten out of this um, okay. Although mm-hmm. in the documentary, Holly talked about how she. Had to go through a lot of therapy mm-hmm. after I'm she sure left they there, did. you know, and she, I think she was traumatized yeah. and had PTSD and yeah. No, all these women have been traumatized. I mean, the the tears that they shed for something that happened 30 years earlier is, it's visceral and it's painful. And um, yeah, and I think that a lot of the women you know, especially the ones that were with him for five, six, seven years. And Holly was there for seven years. And, you know, that is a long, long time. I mean, that's essentially for a lot of these women. Yeah. And I think for the whole 20s, for a lot of women spent their entire 20s, this is what it was. And they had to leave and find themselves again. And then in the first episode of the documentary, um, so we keep going back to that. I know, because there's just so much. I'm sorry. I know. I, I, there was a girl. I can't remember. Did her. There was a fifth. She was 15. The 15-year-old girl who. Well, there was a 15-year-old that Cosby apparently raped at the Playboy Mansion. Oh. That was a whole other thing. I don't know if this was the same person. But... Oh, no. You didn't get that far. But th- there's an episode farther down the line where they're talking about. So at one point, Co- one, at one point, Hefner's two closest friends. Cosby and Roman Polanski. Oh, God. And then they show an interview with Roman Polanski with someone. And Roman Polanski, the the interviewer says, and you knew this woman was 14. And Roman Polanski goes, well, if you had seen her right here, you wouldn't really think she was 14. And the interviewer's like, but you knew she was 14. Like, you knew her age. And Polanski's like, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, the, the first episode, there was a woman who was somehow hanging out there when she was 15. Mm. And what did it, someone in her family work there? Yeah, sorry. Or? So the yeah, the first episode was a lot about this girl that wrote a book who grew up at the Playboy Mansion. Right. So her father was one of Hefner's best friends who was a doctor. And and there apparently were some rumblings, maybe I mean maybe this gets farther down, but there were some rumblings that maybe they had a sexual relationship because that was one of the things that they talk about. The with doctor the, and the doctor Hef. and half. Yeah, that, okay. That, that maybe that because because um because of everything that was going on in the Playboy Mansion and the sex that they kept having to up the ante, you know. And I think that Hef was very much a voyeur, and I think Hef, I think Hef, probably had sexual relationships with men or, right? Because I think there were a lot of orgies. I think there was a lot of stuff going on. So there was talk that the two of them, mm-hmm. potentially. But she had a lot of warm and fuzzy memories of, and happy memories of, because she was a kid, of the mansion and and the animals and, you know, being able to order food and run around until she was 
right. old enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, but I don't. It's was not she, funny. But was she? Was I, she I, sexually assaulted? I don't know. I was. I. I don't think so. I think I was kind of. I was when I was watching that. I was very tired, and I think I fell asleep. During. Well, I don't think she was. I don't think she was. If she, I, I don't. I think her issue was that she, she wrote the book. A lot of stuff. She I saw think, a lot of stuff. Have seen. Yes. And was trying to process it. And she wrote a book about it. And then she told Hefner, and he's always been like this, you know, second father to her. So she told Hefner, I'm, you know, I wrote this book. And he's like, great job, kiddo. Where are your next five or six, you know, media outlet things? And she tells him, like, I'm going to be on this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then she slowly finds out all oh, of them get canceled because Hefner yeah. goes in and rips them off. So she she realizes, like, as much as he's saying, I want women to have a voice and freedom and sexual freedom, she's like, no, he doesn't. Because the minute I said anything or, or, and she felt like she was being very nice to Hefner. She felt like she was trying really hard not to, because she had a positive relationship with him, not to say so many negative things, but she was very much talking about what it's like to be a young girl in that atmosphere. And that's her story. That's her truth. And he basically just came in and said, no, nope, you're not going to talk about it. Well, um, yeah, I don't know why I got the sense that she had been, um, like some bad stuff had happened to her there, like she had been assaulted or something, but... I just don't know how you could spend any amount of time there and not mm-hmm. be sexually assaulted by all those people coming. I, uh, yeah, you I know? don't know. And you know, this this makes me. It's just sort of coming together in my head now. You know, this emphasis on women, yeah, basically girls who mm-hmm. are barely eighteen and so young and. And it's so ingrained in our culture, just the way that Playboy was so ingrained in our culture. This It's very disturbing, this um, obsession with um, teens mm-hmm. as sexual objects. And I remember, I remember there was a documentary um, that came out several years ago. It was about the porn industry. Are you talking about Hot Girls Wanted? Yes. The Rashida Jones? Yes. Yeah, yes. that was also a disturbing. Very disturbing. But the one of the things I remember from that documentary is the most searched term on porn sites is teen. Mm-hmm. And apparently that's every man's fantasy. I guess so. Yeah, because in that show, it was all about these girls that answered these Craigslist, Craigslist ads that said Hot Girls Wanted. And basically, the minute you turn 18, they want you to be in a bunch of porn. And, and, and it's always the same scenario. Oh, I'm just a young girl. Right. I'm just, I'm, And then it's some 56-year-old guy. And oh, my God, she can't wait to have sex with, you know, her boyfriend's father or the grandfather, whomever. You know, oh, my God, this is my dream. And then it's all about this fantasy of this young girl having sex with this older guy. And the thing was that the girls, like the moment they were out and did a few films, it was almost like they were old. Right. You know what I mean? They were used up. Like after a couple that, that, that they really, none of them could have made, you know, they, they all went into it thinking, Oh, I'll make a bunch of money or I'll, you know, have this glamorous time. And between the cost of rent and, you know, the UTIs yeah, and they condoms and everything to, else. together in these houses. That were so sad. And charge them a bunch of rent. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, they would start out with this, you know, kind of babysitter porn type yeah. stuff. And then eventually, you know, within a few weeks, they had them doing, like, hard, yeah. horrible Ugh. things. Horrible, horrible things. Yeah. And, you know, 
<laughs> as you were saying that, yeah, that fantasy that, you know, these teen girls just want to have sex with older men. I mean, hello, Woody Allen. Yes. He wrote multiple movies that, with, that mm-hmm. was the plot. Yeah. What was the one with the um, Hemingway girl? Uh, Mar- oh, Mariel Hemingway. Mariel oh, Hemingway. you're talking about Manhattan. Manhattan. Yes. Yeah. This that, that's 17, the, the premise 18 year old girl. Yeah. yeah, the 17-year-old girl is so hot for Woody, for Woody <laughs> Allen and just wants to have sex with him so badly. And, and wants is, to be with him. And then is oh. in love with him and thinks he's the greatest thing. I mean, he literally wrote movies about that to mm-hmm. satisfy his own, you know, sexual desires and then went and lived it out in yeah. real life, you know. Yeah. Uh, and just, all that that infamous Woody Allen line, which is um, the heart wants what the heart wants. Okay, I'm going to tell you something right now, people. The heart, you can be okay. Listen, everybody has someone in their life that they love that you cannot be with. And you know what? You're not with them. That's just how it is. That whole bullshit, like my heart, you know. Right, like you have no control. You have no control. You have no way. And if you want something, you deserve it or you should have it, you know. And it's like... No, lots of people make choices in their lives not to be with certain people for various reasons. And I think that you can, Woody Allen, choose not to have sex with the adoptive with your, child. your stepdaughter. Uh, yeah, essentially your stepdaughter for the last umpteen years. You can make a choice not to do that. Ugh, I hate that. The heart wants what the heart wants. Like, as if you have no sense of, you, you know, like your dick just Decent. fell in there. <laughs> yeah, oops. Like, whoops. Oh, my God, that's what my heart wanted. Boop, there I went. Uh-oh. You know, it's just, it's utterly ridiculous. But, yeah, and so, I don't know, what what can change? I mean, what can we, this is, this is, when I was watching this whole thing, I was like, your daughter's 19, yeah. right? It's like, what can we do? What can be different about all of this? Because... Layla's is beautiful. She should, you know, she could be as someone would scoop her up in a minute to be in one of these magazines. She's so beautiful. So it's it's like, and if Layla came and said, I want to do this thing and be in this magazine, I mean, yeah, well, what would you say to her? But well, Layla would never do it. Yeah, I, I'm sitting here thinking, well, um, there's no way, Layla. No would way. No, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, Again, these industries prey on women who are the most vulnerable, who mm-hmm. have, you know, don't have a support system, don't have a good family life, don't have good self-esteem, all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't want to stereotype people and say, well, all these women, you know, um, have issues or something, because it. It's not that, but but I think there wasn't any wasn't there wasn't a backup plan kind of thing. I think that that obviously if you were um right, for example, Kate Hudson, you know, Kate Hudson was able to Gwyneth Paltrow like all of these people that had connections and money and family was in the industry. I think you know, for them getting into the right rooms and being able to be with the right people and being protected. I think that is, I don't know how to explain it, but it is easier for them. Weinstein wasn't going to mess with Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, apparently I think he kind of did, but she, but she was dating Brad Pitt at the time. And I think Brad Pitt stepped in and I Mm. think he obviously, I think he was kind of making overtures. I heard this on Howard Stern, but this is the thing is that, for example, if you are, um, 
Kim Kardashian was in Playboy. So Kim Kardashian's probably experience with Playboy was really pleasant and nice because they're not, you know, she had a family, she had resources, she had a place to go. If the Playboy thing didn't work out, she would be okay. She would bounce back. You know, I think that when you think about some of these women who um, really desperately wanted to break into Hollywood and desperately wanted to make connections. And here's someone offering you a free place to live with money coming in every week. And you're tired of waitressing and you're tired of trying to make this work. And there's all this glitz and glam and you think, oh, maybe I'll meet the right person if I'm living in this house. I think that that's what happens. And then you get in there, you're living there and you are um, desperately, you know, feeling like, and I think this is what was happening for Holly was trying to figure out like, how do I make this normal? How do I fall in love with this person? How do right. I, how do I make the situation? And that's what so I saw. So she didn't saw. feel so bad. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I saw when I was in, when I was watching the show, because I really saw them, all of them trying to figure out how do I, how do I do this and make this and, and love these women and love this person, this man that I'm with so that this can all feel normal okay, and natural yeah. and okay. And what I want, because what, how Hugh Hefner has really been um, selling us is this idea that not only that women and sexual freedom, but that women want to be in these kinds of non-monogamous relationships, you know, cause that's what he was, he was saying. That's what he wanted. He wanted, he didn't want to be monogamous. So I think for all of them, I think they probably said, yeah, of course, I, I, don't, I don't need to be monogamous. Okay, this will work, right? Well, and, that, and I think that that idea has, you know, the through line is, you know, through today, I think there's still this pressure on women to, like, if you, if you set boundaries and you say, no, I don't want, then you're seen as being, you know, prude mm-hmm. or, you know, not being open-minded or, and yeah, yeah and there's a lot of pressure with young women to yeah go along with what men want yes <laughs> and and to please men mm-hmm. and i do think that the protection issue has a lot to do with it because you know sometimes i think to myself gosh like how did i get through my childhood without anybody <laughs> you know yeah. molesting me or and i think you know look we grew up in a small town our dad was a lawyer our parents were always there and no one was going to mess with us, Mm -hmm. you know? No, we weren't vulnerable. We were not vulnerable. There's so many women and men, but you know, women in particular who are just so vulnerable. They don't have anyone looking out for them. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they have already endured abuse and trauma and whatever. So this is just sort of like the next thing, the next thing, like it's, this is just part of life. Um, you know, and of course, those are the people that end up in those situations because you or I would not mm-hmm. <laughs> go into that situation. You know, we would not think that that was okay or attractive or or anything. You know, mm-hmm. um, basically. Well, that's the other one there. too, right? Which is where were we at nineteen? We we're both in college. Yeah. So I mean, there is that other part of it too. Is I think you know if you're if 18 and your parents can't afford college or you're not going to pay for it or you don't want to do it and you are on your own yeah. then yeah trying very to, different trying to survive in yeah. Los Angeles it's very different when you have um parents that are like here go to college we'll pay for it we'll support you every step of the way there you go yes and um and again 
we were raised by a father who, I don't think he thought us a, of us as boys, but he treated us like strong women. <laughs> I can't yes. explain it. We was always like, hang tough, be tough. No, yeah. no one ever promoted getting married. No, it was like, you that. need to get a career. You need to be a professional. Make your own money. Make your own money. Um, you know, and yeah. that was the cornerstone of, yeah. of life. And then it was kind of like, oh, it'd be nice if you got married and grandchildren would be nice. But I think that both of them, both of our parents, you know, they were so both career driven, get careers. Yeah. The idea, I never thought that it was an option just to marry a man and, and just be, and, yeah. and, and just do. I never thought that was an option. I didn't even think that it was something I could do. I didn't know that until way later. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait a second. Wait a minute. I've been working way too hard. But, but, and I do think that's the other part of it too. And we're both mothers, which is, I think that women, we are inherently like, there is a desire when my son is sick. Like, I do like babying him and he likes to be babied. And, you know, that's something that my husband can't do or understands to do. I think that it is part of our nature too, is that we do want, we, you know, no matter who we are, we, we, we are not only trained to be nice and to be kind and to be loving. But I do think that inside of us, we do want to take care of. So I think there is that desire when you're, you know, someone like Holly, when you're in that relationship and feeling like, okay, so this is my role in all of this. Let me take care of this man. Okay, this feels good. This feels like maybe this might work. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think that it is really, uh, it's, I can see how very easily people fall into it. I really, really do. I really do. Mm. So, but, oh, God, this has just been so rough. (laughs) Yes. Tess, please stop watching the documentary. I know. It's 12 episodes, which means there's a lot of bad stuff. And the thing is, it's the same same thing. It's the same. Who is going to get raped in this episode? And I hate to say, I don't mean to be flippant, but I'm dead serious. It's like, what new new story am I going to hear? But... That is how frightening it is, is that it's, it's, you know, I'm sure they edited out so much. And from 12 episodes, they felt like, okay, we've got to get everybody's story out. Like everybody agreed to sit down with us. We've got to show their story so that there are this many stories. So much material. There are this many stories of this many people that are coming out. So this means that that there are thousands of stories that are never going to hear the light of day, thousands of situations that we're never going to hear about it. Yeah. Ugh. Horrible. Well. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. See you later. <laughs> we need right. to stop before I know. we, um, you know. Okay. Get into a, a deeper <laughs> depression than we're already in. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. So if you like this podcast, please go to iTunes and give us a five star. It's five stars, right? Five stars. Five star rating. If you don't like us, then just keep moving forward. <laughs> don't give us any rating at all. Um, and uh, yeah, we're gonna get to get. We're gonna get a uh, Instagram, not Instagram, but TikTok and Instagram page and a website and all that kind of stuff. But it's not gonna happen right now. So please just follow us. Tell your friends and family about us, and uh, give us five stars. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com